Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Oh, man, another great song from one of my favorite musical artists, Kolars. Not Alone is the name of that. I'm just going to say it because I can't wait any longer, and I'm honestly a little giddy about this, but we have the one and only Rob Kolar with us this evening for episode 111, and I'm so excited about this conversation we're about to embark on, but you have no idea. I mean, I'm just like, I'm like a giddy little schoolgirl about this, you know, I'm a little starstruck. But before we get to that, we also have a guest co-host this week while Big Shoots is off spending Huddy's college fund at Legoland, Mr. Connor O'Gorman, fellow podcaster and all-around great guy, is in the co-pilot seat. Welcome, Connor. Well, I appreciate you guys for having me. Yes, we're excited. We're excited. Some fresh, uh, fresh meat, as they say. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're we're super excited to have you here as well. Connor's first order of business is this week's safety apparel safety share. Connor, what you got, buddy? Yeah. Every every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. Doctors prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. In 2019, healthcare providers across the U.S. wrote more than 215 million prescriptions for opioid pain medication, a rate of 66.5% uh, or 66.5 prescriptions per 100 people. As many as one in five Amer- people receive prescription opioids long-term for non-cancer pain in primary care settings. More than 11 million people abuse prescription opioids in 2019. Every day, more than 1,000 people are treated in emergency departments for misusing prescription opioids. Opioids were involved in 49,860 overdose deaths in 2019. That's 70.6% of all drug overdose deaths. Uh, Drug overdoses uh, claimed the lives of nearly 64,000 Americans in 2019. Nearly two-thirds of these deaths, 66% involve a prescription or illicit opioid. If you know someone in pain, encourage them to talk to their physician or PT about safe ways to manage pain. And I can tell you that from experience. People uh, my age, I feel like there is a lot more. Yes, uh, from we an got a crisis. Standpoint. Yeah, we got a crisis going on. Nice Absolutely. and dark to start off the episode. Yeah. Oh, we're just getting rolling. Yeah, yeah. a lot of <laughs> darkness coming up. Stuff, a lot of darkness. Important stuff. <laughs> well, welcome, is, man. I mean, that's no joke. Seriously. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Here we are in the Diamondback Land Surveying Studio. Good to be here. Last uh, show of the year, boys. That's huge. Crazy, what a great year. Right? Yeah. And of course, Trent Keenan and Diamondback Land Surveying signed up to sponsor the studio next year. So we're super excited about that and appreciative. Uh, shout out to this week's featured friend of the program. Do you want me to take this, Connor, or you got it? I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. Who do we got for uh, this week's friend of the program? Yeah, it's uh, Mentoring Mondays. Uh, do you ever wish that you could have a weekly cup of coffee with a like-minded surveying professional? Yes. We are here to tell you that you can do just that, Kent, by participating in the virtual Mentoring Mondays for Land Surveyors program. This is a weekly Zoom meeting featuring live Q&As on your favorite surveying topics. Every Monday, the forum is hosted by a rotating series of guest speakers who are among the best in the surveying business. Think of Mentoring Mondays as the weekly office hours for surveying professionals. 
So whether you are a freshman in college or a 50-year professional land surveyor looking to contribute your wisdom and experience, Mentoring Mondays is for you. To find out, simply visit www.mentoringmondays.xyz. So I love this. I got like two of the smartest young brains that I know in the same room as me, but both of them struggle to read. Can't read. Under the what pressure. What is the deal? We can't do it. You Under, know, what's, what's the problem? Why is that? Why can't people read <laughs> anymore? Our brains are focusing on a million other things. Uh, yeah, like we can't be reading. TikTok. Crypto, yeah. NFT. Yeah, TikTok. exactly. The whole time you was reading that, I was just thinking about my NFTs. I knew you were. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get into that here in just a bit. All right. Time for the Trimble Geospatial Weekly Words of Wisdom. This is a fantastic quote for all of us to take with us into 2022, let's say. Okay, here we go. Conquer anger with non-anger. Conquer badness with goodness. Conquer meanness with generosity. Conquer dishonesty with truth. Who do you think that is? Is that Rob? No. <laughs> it could be. Gandhi. You're close, dude. It's Buddha. Oh, oh <laughs> same thing, same thing, same thing. Love it. Oh, it's a great quote. All right, real quick, let's catch up with the boys just a little bit. PJ, what's up, man? Um, not a bunch. Yeah, like you said, this is the the last show of the year, so a great year, number year for us, a lot of good content this year. Um, uh, we're ending off the year with 61.7 thousand downloads total, so another big year for us. Fantastic. Exponential growth per usual, so excited for the, the next year, see what we can come up with. 100,000, 100,000. Oh, that's easy. That's easy. 100,000 easily. So yeah, I'm excited to see um, who we'll have on the show this next year, um, what kind of new new stories we can tell perspectives we can share and what passions guests we can bring to the table. So yeah, looking forward to it. Friends we can make. Yep. Connor, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I almost didn't come on here. I had a five uh, team parlay and your bears almost pulled, uh, oh. pulled, pulled a bad one. I had them by seven and at the very end of it, they almost didn't cover the seven. So, uh, so, you, hit luckily, the, so you hit the five teamer. I hit the five teamer. I was wow. so lucky. Not, nice. I, now don't let me, you know, it was a ten dollar bet. Oh, the thirteen dollar bet, but still. <laughs> but paid, thirteen paid. to win what? A hundred? Three ten? Three ten? That's <laughs> nothing. That's nothing. But, to but sh- you know, Wait, I've been you losing a lot you, of money recently. So <laughs> you, can, you can buy one of Jake's uh, NFTs, monkeys. Yeah. Monkeys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Are, you, are they trading way higher than that? Are they? Yeah. We think uh, great market think sa- safer NFTs or sports betting. That's t- both terrible. Okay. Both terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Both just as much gambling. Yeah, yeah oh. no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Yeah, but I'm doing I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. That's and good. Sure. Good. You know what? I went the opposite. I had a, I had the Bears in a fourteen parlay uh-huh. and went the opposite. I mm. took and they freaking you, win the game for God's sakes. I mean, you're not going to win that game. And of course, they win the game. So I lost my fourteen parlay. Other than that, I uh, are you done, Connor? Well, is, there yeah, anything, I mean, is there anything else you'd like to get out there? Uh, no, I'm just I'm just happy to be on here. I mean, it's it's awesome to be a part of a a, a growing podcast. So yeah, yeah, I'm excited. yeah. Well, you, you're all of a sudden you're going to get a taste of stardom tonight. Yeah, did you like that little marketing plug, by the way? The uh, recruiter that does uh, professional <laughs> yes, does <I> land surveying <laughs> uh, recruits for certified land surveyors. Yeah, I said, I said, hey, you know, if you're going to take a call with Kent, why don't you check out his uh, Geoholic podcast and send yeah, him the uh, website. The link. <laughs> <laughs> it was awesome, man. I appreciate that. Shameless. Yeah, shameless plug. Don't get used to it. All right. Uh, for me, uh, great Christmas. Pretty much stayed uh, in that like alcohol-induced zen state of mind for like 48 hours. It was pretty good. Uh, ate like a king. What else did I do? I did my best to spread as much joy to as many people as possible. That's what we're here for. Isn't that and what you're supposed to do? And add value and make friends. Yes, exactly. So overall, it was an overall success for sure. Other than that, our Cardinals freaking suck. They're horrible. Wheels came off. 
Done. It's an Arizona sports team. What do you expect? Yes, exactly. All right. We got a lot to get to tonight. I'm super excited for this conversation, as I mentioned earlier. So, you know that commercial, you know, the guy, you know, the most interesting man in the world. You know that guy? Oh, sure. yeah. yeah. Exactly. Right? I kind of put our guest this evening in that same category. So, we've got with us, as I mentioned earlier, Rob. <laughs> Too much pressure. <laughs> you got a lot to live up to, buddy. Our guest this evening is, of course, as I mentioned earlier, Rob Kolar. Uh, a little bit about Rob here to get you up to speed. He was born in uh, LA, grew up in England as a kid, and get this, he actually attended a Hogwarts-like boarding school. That's hilarious. We'll have to circle back on that here in just a minute. Rob had an erratic childhood, he said. Lots of moving. Never lived in the same house for more than a couple years. He lived for short periods in Malaysia, Hong Kong, New York, and Montreal as his dad was working on location for films. Rob's interests include writing and producing music, of course, crypto investing, tarot, I guess, and tarot cards, plant medicine, and psychedelic exploration. We got so much to talk about. A lot to unwrap here tonight. I'm so excited. He's wrote and produced records, toured and performed around the world, and played major festivals like Bonnaroo. Mm. This allowed him to connect with thousands of fans and audiences from all walks of life and ages, developing a global fan base, get this, with no label or manager. And he's even won a John Lennon Songwriting Award. Rob, thank you so much for joining the Geoholics tonight. Thanks for having me. Wow. Best intro I've ever had. I we should just go now. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've done all of it. No, man. I'm, I'm uh, a huge, thanks for having me. Huge fan. Huge fan of both uh, your music and, and your mind. You know, I'm, uh, I feel like I know you. You know, I have friends on Facebook, follow you on Instagram. Um, and if you guys aren't following Rob on Instagram, you absolutely need to. There's so much good content there. Uh, we have one quick icebreaker question for you before we get into this. You ready for this? Yeah. Well, we'll see. All right. So it's pretty simple. If you had to eat one of these three sandwiches for the rest of your life and nothing else, what would it be? Grilled cheese, sloppy joe, or peanut butter and jelly? Grilled cheese. Grilled Definitely. Cheese. All right. I love it. There's a lot you can do with grilled cheese. You can have ham. You can add. Yeah. You can make an inside out. Different Maybe kinds of cheese, bacon. different kinds of bread. Yeah. Do you like do it with butter, olive oil? Yep. You, you can mix and match, you know? Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Totally grilled agree. Cheese. Totally agree with that. I'm on board. Uh, Connor, since you haven't answered this question before, what do you got? I would do grilled cheese, I think. Grilled cheese as well? I think PG. Exactly on the head on that one. Yeah, that absolutely. Uh, the only thing, what about the tomato soup? You got to have the tomato soup to dip it. Ooh, does so that good. is that included though? Does that ca- is that <laughs> part, part of, of the it. equation or no? It's not. So it makes it like fifty percent as good at that point. I've answered this as peanut butter and jelly for years, but with Rob's argument, I've got to take grilled cheese for tonight. I've switched over. <laughs> See, I look, did too many variables. Peanut butter jelly was, was a close second. What about you, Kent? Uh, I'm a sloppy Joe. Oh, sloppy Joe. Throwing a wrench in this thing. Yeah, yeah. I (laughs) I don't agree with that at all. Maybe coming from the Midwest. I mean, sloppy Joe's, I mean, everywhere you went had a sloppy. You can't even find a sloppy Joe in Arizona. No. No. I talked to someone actually last week about a sloppy Joe. They didn't know what it was. (sighs) They're missing out. Right. Some parts of the country, it almost doesn't really exist. Like, you don't really find them in LA either. Yeah. Arizona. Yeah. Their response actually was, is that. Certain places. Their response actually was, is that a deconstructed hamburger? Kind of, only yeah, better. I like, yeah, I guess, but there's like more like oil. I'm not sure. Thank God for Manwich. Thank God for Manwich. Uh, elementary schools serve it, I think. That's about it here in Arizona. <laughs> That's about it, right? Okay, is a sloppy Joe better than a burger or is a burger? No. 
Burger's better, better than a Sloppy Joe. No, I, I think would much. Need, I think rather, we need input on this. I would much rather have a Sloppy Joe any day. Really? No burger, yes. burger. What, I need. What, I want everything together. What type of Sloppy Joes are you eating? I, I'm good? feeling Jake on this one. <laughs> I could eat six Sloppy burger, Joes. You want like a juicy burger, right? Yeah, yeah. Jake, he likes that well, raw we, meat. Can't, can't, Ken has now claimed the Sloppy Joe King. That's his new nickname. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, well uh, you know what? I will sit here and eat 12 Sloppy Joes on the next episode if I have to. <laughs> oh, we should do it. On air. I, that is long. a bet. I want to see it. <laughs> mm. Do you do pickles on your Sloppy Joe set or uh, onions pickles, or like, what do you do? Do you just do a sloppy, just, just the meat and see, the You and obviously the haven't had a good Sloppy Joe. I'm going to invite you over for dinner sometime. And we'll, we'll hook you up. Sloppy Joe <laughs> night. <laughs> Yeah, all just right. a sloppy Joe with a little extra sloppy. And you know what? A side of tater tots helps the situation. I could go with that. That sounds good. <laughs> right? All right, Rob, let's talk about you a little bit. All right. <laughs> well, about- I think sloppy Joe is more fun than talking about me. But- <laughs> Tell us about it's the- your show. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the Hogwarts uh, grade school you went to. Uh, well. It's very much like Hogwarts. <laughs> we wore uniforms and socks up to our knees. Um, yeah, it was when I read the Harry Potter books, it was like this weird flashback to my wow. childhood where it looked a little bit like Hogwarts. There were the grounds. It was all of the kind of English stereotypes of boarding school where uniforms, houses, you know, just take out like Dumbledore and the magic and the giants and all. <laughs> the crazy magic shit. Um, am I allowed to swear on this show? I I don't know. Uh, we promote it. Encouraged. Okay. <laughs> okay. So yeah, it was it was a lot like Hogwarts. So crazy. And your dad. So you did a lot of traveling around because of your dad's involvement in the in the entertainment industry. Um, talk about that just a little bit. Yeah, he uh, was a wild check man that. A lot of people uh, described as kind of like an Eastern European mafiosa type, kind of like slick back hair and wore awesome. the suits. But he was in the film business and uh, moved to L.A. to to get into film. And as he worked his way up, he was working on all these different projects and uh, and shoots. And so sometimes they would be on location. Right. So we would and he takes a, it's like, what does the family do? Well, they're coming with us. So we'd go to. Malaysia or Montreal or New York, or my sister was going to school in Hong Kong for a while for like, you know, anywhere between a few months to six months. And we would just kind of live there, set up shop, be kind of involved, hanging out as kids. And then on to the next where we're back to LA or this kind of thing. So it's very kind of chaotic, kind of wild, interesting, but also like got to make friends quick, got to, you know, get used to this pace of just moving around, shifting around and things changing all the time sure what a dynamic uh childhood though yeah what, what was the coolest place you lived sorry what was the coolest place you lived um i mean i have real fond memories of malaysia because mm. then we would have time where we would like go in and go to like orangutan parks and like meet animals and and experience that thing that kind of thing hong kong was super weird i remember flying in and it's like i don't know if you guys ever been there but it's like almost like New York city on an Island. So Hmm. the planes landing and you just see these huge skyscrapers on an Island. And it's this very bizarre contrast of like an Island and a giant city um, metropolis kind of thing. So every, every place has its uh, perk or it's interesting element, you know, but um, those two kind of stand out. 
Huh. Super cool. So one more question about your, uh, I guess your childhood that I would be remiss if I didn't mention this because <clears throat> your grandfather played a role in a movie that gave me nightmares for probably <laughs> a month of my life when I was a child. <laughs> Talk to us a little bit about that. I feel like as his grandson, who is also named after him, I need to constantly apologize to people <laughs> for this because this is like a common thing. It's like, thanks to your granddad or the movie, I, I don't go in the ocean or I, I can't swim or, you know, I, all these things. So, yeah, he was uh, he was in Jaws. He played Quint, which is the the fisherman. Great. Got, got eat, kind of the shark hunter of the film, the raggedy alcoholic shark hunter. Oh <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's my granddad. And he, uh, so I also like to tell people that like my granddad was eaten by a shark. <laughs> uh, and yeah. I don't mention the part about the movie, but um, yeah. Um, yeah. Such a fun, fun, interesting guy, legend in the family, you know, lots of stories about him. He was big drinker, kind of a wild man. On the set of Jaws, he uh, he gave uh, Richard Dreyfus a really hard time. To this day, Richard Dreyfus talks about it with like a lot of tra trauma. <laughs> Pushes buttons. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, I, the, the part in the movie when he's sitting there at the table, you know, and they're all they're all freaking drunk out of their mind, and he's telling the story about the I don't know, was it a navy vessel or something yeah. that goes down, and all the that's sailors, true story. yeah, go into the end, and they get eaten by his arc, and it's like, oh my god, I'm like seven years old and I'm watching this, you know, and like that's oh, so man. funny because that was, was the horrible. part that stuck in my mind too. That's when really? I really got yeah freaked yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so funny. Yeah, good stuff. All yeah, right. he. I that scene, famously, he came up with it, ad-libbed a lot of those lines. They kind of wow. let them uh, kind of free reign on that scene. So he was quite proud of like being able to kind of insert his own person personality and, and dialogue into that one. Yeah, yeah, that's Little awesome. Tidbit. Super cool. I'm sure there's some great stories there. Um, so let's kind of start off on a, on a I don't know. An, an easy topic. <laughs> let's talk about music, of course. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's start there. And I'm very curious. You know, what was you know moving all around? I'm sure that you had all these different influences um, as far as music goes. Um, talk about that. I mean, what do you, if you had a hometown? What was your hometown music scene like? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, in the beginning, it was funny because I was in England, so I wanted to be in the choir, right? You want to sing in the choir, but I kept getting rejected. So it was like, no, you're not good. At, you're not a good singer. You're not quite right for this, this kind of thing. Can't hold a note. But as a kind of a middle school, beginning of high school, I discovered punk rock. So it was like Rancid and The Clash and The Ramones and bands of that era, like earlier, you know, late 70s, but also the kind of 90s resurgence of punk. And I realized, oh, you don't have to actually be a good singer to to rock in a band and to like lead a fucking band and, and, and express yourself. So it was really like punk music that allowed me to go have the confidence to be like, Oh, you can just do this. It's, it's more about the attitude. It's more about the, you know, persona, the, the expression, the, the lyrics, the feeling. Um, we, so I, I credit a lot of that to, to punk music at, at like, I think I was 13th birthday, got a ticket to the Palladium to see Rancid and they were, and L7 was opening and nice. it was like, 
I jumped in the mosh pit. Huge guys with mohawks are like elbowing me in the face. And I'm just like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> you know, like freaking out. You know, this oh. little kid in there with like, and then I, I had kind of the like the butt cut, like 90s hairdo, the long. And I immediately like cut it. I'm like, I'm going spike pug proc and, you know, had <laughs> rancid posters, clash posters on my wall and stuff like that. Got really into that whole scene. Um, and and as as a result, we lived in this kind of small town outside of L.A., like Montrose kind of La Cunada area. There's not much going on. So we found a local community center and just brought our PA in there and we just charged like the local weird kids that weren't invited to like the high school parties. They were like, we don't know what we're doing this weekend. We're like, come to our show. You can like dance and and skank around, which is like the ska dance because yeah. we had like ska bands playing, too. Yeah. So it's just like all the weirdo kids would come and pay like $3 or $5, come hang out in the community center and our bands would play and we would just set up these DIY shows and it was all grassroots DIY stuff. So that was really the beginning of it all. So you're all the inventor of punk rock, DIY, grassroots. Like if, if, if it's not there, make it, you know? <laughs> I love that. If it's not there, make it. <laughs> right. So I, uh, you're going to get a kick out of this. I'm a little bit older than you are, of course. But uh, when I was in high school, I went through the whole punk rock uh, phase as well. But nice. for me, it was like, I can remember going to see a show in Chicago at the, what's that? I think it might have been the Aragon Ballroom, as a matter of fact. And uh, it was the Dead Kennedys. Cir nice. Circle Jerks, Naked Ray Gun, and who was the other band? Uh, the Crucifix was the other band. Yeah, it was. It was insanity. all on the same bill. Yes, it was absolute insanity. So, that's awesome. Sometimes they would like cram like eight mm -hmm. bands. On, like that was the punk rock show, right? Like yes. thirty minute sets, eight bands. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And Dead Get seeing dead kennedys at that time is like that's classic that's, was, that's awesome it was pretty amazing i wish i would have seen uh the sex pistols huge sex pistols fan but uh that wasn't meant to be for me punk rock's coming back too it's, 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 are you it's, getting it's, into it bud oh yeah yeah. i got a buddy that's actually a drummer that they just all quit their jobs as their uh bands first and forever they just signed a, a record yeah 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 he's a he's the drummer of it he's one of my good friends and uh they're punk rock and you know people used to be like hey what are you doing right now like yeah. like quitting your job doing the band thing and right, like right. they're they're going big that's they're, awesome yeah. man. nice Jumping into it like a little reliant k feel uh right yeah right on but yeah Good stuff. Know, it's, it's, it's possible that there's ways to make it work <laughs> well like that olivia rodrigo like how do you how do you have a career in music somehow it somehow manages to happen yeah, yeah. I, I texted him today i'm like hey do you know uh rob clark and he's like oh yeah love him like like you know he's, he's a he's an inspiration kind of thing and so i'm like oh perfect like but yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I'm like, that's pretty like, cool. Yeah, it's a younger generation now. That is awesome. That's awesome. So, Rob, let's go this direction then. Um, so we talked about you know, like some of your influences, stuff like that, and all those bands you named, like the Clash and the Ramones and stuff. Um, I can totally see that in in your music. Um, how how did how, how has your music evolved over the years? Like, were you, were you one type of musician when it was he's my brother, she's my sister, and that did some sort of evolution for Kolars or do you think you've kind of brought that, uh, the whole thing along the entire time? Yeah, no, I think, 
I was always aware where so it was like it started with the punk and then I had this like kind of alternative power pop band almost called Listen mm. that evolved into a band called um, Color, which was almost mm. like post punk, like had even elements of hardcore. Like we kind of liked bands like Hot Snakes and At the Drive-In and stuff. And we fused that with almost mod music. So it was always these hybrids of different genres. And then that turned into Lemon Sun, which is a little bit more rock, rock and roll and psychedelic and throwback 60s. And then He's My Brother had these folk elements and kind of 60s folk hints and also garage rock and like anti-folk and stuff. And then that evolved into Kolar. Uh, so each band, I feel like, brings some of the influences and then explores something new. So it's this like weird hybrid frankenstein music sound that keeps evolving and changing and you like so on another limb or you like change the eye or like you know what i mean like just keep experimenting so and now i'm on to kind of the new the, what's the next frontier and what's the next chapter and all that and um and i think it's it's exploring this this new form of like taking the idea of a dance record like almost like disco or dance music, mm -hmm. but giving it this raw edge and, and like almost what would Bob Dylan do if he was going to make a dance record or what would like the class, I mean, the clash had dance songs, but like taking the attitude of like a little bit anti-establishment and, 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 and social commentary, but, but infusing it with like this just infectious wanting to move and, and dance and like, almost like in that old kind of soul disco way, yeah. you know, trying to, and I'm exploring what that even means, but that's, that's the beginning of the next phase, I think. And I, again, I'm going to reiterate, if you're not following Rob on Instagram, you have to, because not, not only do you get to see some of what he's talking about, but once in a while he'll do like an acoustic thing in his bathroom and it's some of the best, I mean, it, it's amazing. Every time I listen to one of those, I get the chills. He's so talented. It's ridiculous. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. It's nice to know that. Yeah, I started to, I'm like, maybe this would be a fun thing to explore. The reverb sounds good in here. There's a toilet just in case I'm <laughs> feeling sick or need to go. Yeah. And uh, and I'll just strap on the guitar and play and, it, you know, throw an, I, an iPhone up there and just hit record and share it, you know? Yeah. And people seem to really identify with it and like it, especially like the kind of short snippet songs. Mm. I was thinking about maybe even doing some like off the cuffs, like where I'm writing it as I'm playing. I haven't done that yet, but that could be an interesting insight into like how a song is even created. So there's, yeah, there's lots of things to explore with that, but thank you for, uh, for watching and appreciating. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great segue into what I want to talk about next. And that is songwriting. How has that evolved for you? And I'm always curious when I talk to musicians, it's like, does, do you think, do you come up with like the music first and then the lyrics or the lyrics, then the, then the music, how does it, how does it typically work for you? Yeah, that can vary. You know, um, I think if you're going through something powerful in your life, sometimes you'll write down certain lines or themes, right. And then that can fit into mm. the right piece of music. More often than not, it's like a feeling, right? There's an emotion. So I'll pick up the guitar and a riff comes or these chords come and it's, it's, it captures what's going on either in the world that I'm observing or in my life. And it, it's a and usually if it's going on in my life, it's a reflection of something that's happening in the kind of collective consciousness, right? So then it's about 
oh, how do I want to capture this, express it? A melody kind of comes and then the lyrics tend to come. Oh, this is the mood and feeling and emotion of the melody and the music. What words capture can capture? that feeling so if if anything it's the feeling and the the core emotion that sort of comes first and then all the other elements kind of form around that yeah and i was just thinking about what you said a second ago about how maybe you know you had the idea of maybe you know videoing you as you kind of write the song and you know it'd be kind of cool you can have like you know the people that are are watching or have watched like even like input with lyrics or something like that and just like build a song virtually that'd be pretty neat I love that idea. And I've been, we, we did that live. Actually, we had a show in Portland a couple years ago and we had no songs left. And the crowd was like one more. It was like, we'd done an encore and there was like calls for another song. We're like, what the, you know, like we're off stage. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? We can't just like leave people, you know, you want to leave them wanting more, but you also don't want to leave them like, you know, out there in the crowd, like ready to go. So we jumped out and started creating a song on the spot. And, and incorporated the audience singing along and, and, and it was all impromptu. And in other shows, we were in Germany and we even had someone come up and just were like, sing whatever comes to you in this moment. So I do love that idea of having no boundary between the audience and the band, because it, 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 what a beautiful thing to do is like create yeah. this combination they're part of the creation you know it's like it's like experiential art where you walk through the art or you peel something off of a painting why can't you do that with music yeah you know so yeah i feel i, I love that idea i'll have to see how to 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 infuse that in but yeah. i've been asking fans actually like title like what should i title this song or which but i think you can even take take it a step further like you said it's a cool idea do you think it's more challenging to perform or to write a song in your eyes well i think it depends who you ask as a musician for me personally um i would say it's probably more challenging the performance but like for lauren who is the drummer my wife ex-wife <laughs> um she was way more drawn to the performance and her the idea of her writing a song was the really the challenging thing so i think it depends on the musician and what their kind of forte is but for me um performance is is a little more daunting because you're kind of naked out there and you have to hold especially because yeah when we when you've played for several thousand people it's like how do we capture this energy and 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 bring everyone into this same kind of space, this same frequency of experience, you know. And it's it's you just have to go with it. It's almost like surrender is the word I would use. It's just like trust and surrender and be the more authentic and real you can yeah. be with an audience. I think the more they appreciate it because ultimately they want to experience that and be able to do that themselves, right? So I think that's. Yeah, I love that. I the beauty of the live performance. And ideally, 
Yeah, go on. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, the, the word surrender. I love that word. And I mean, this is at a completely different level, but even myself, I, I, prior to starting this cod, this cod, this podcast, like two and a half years ago, um, I don't, I didn't consider myself like a super outgoing talk in front of large groups type person. So like by doing this over the last two and a half years, it's like brought that out of inside of me and I didn't even know it was in there. And every time I'm like, right before we start, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to surrender and let's freaking go with this. <laughs> let's see what happens. But the authenticity. Exactly. Yeah. The was author- there a moment before you did the first one where you were just like, okay, like you're on the diving board or on the edge of the pool and you're like, this is the first, I'm yeah. going head first right now. Yeah. No question about it. I mean, right. I feel that way almost every show. And to me, it's kind of exciting, you know, at this point, I mean, I still get amped up before the show. I couldn't sleep last night thinking about tonight's show. Honest to God, I was so excited about this conversation. Um, Love it. And, uh, you know, it's like, oh gosh, what was I going to say? The authenticity, you know, and like the humility that you show on stage, that's what draws people in. That's what draws you to a podcast. You know, look at Joe Rogan. You know, that guy's one of the humblest guys on the planet, you know, on his podcast anyways. And people love him because he's humble. He can make fun of himself. And, and yes, that's key is yeah. having that self-deprecation yes. and humor. Yes. I love that about him. Also that he, the, the, the beauty about the Joe Rogan podcast too, is that he doesn't ever judge the guest. He's got ever. like this whole array of guests that some people are talking about conspiracies. Some people are talking about like very kind of conformist mentality, all of the above from drugs to everything. And he just listens and asks kind of the appropriate question based yep. on the guest. And that I think is also what people love about him. Mm-hmm. What's so great about that show. Yeah. He's, he's put America in a podcast basically. So, I mean, it, it, like Rob just said, it's like it, he brings diverse thought into it and, and doesn't judge people. And like, it, you know, people mm-hmm. that are, that believe different things than him, you know, are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And you know that when they're coming on and then the way that he, creates that conversation i think is uh is incredible and it you know to rob's point it's it's surrendering to yeah, you know other totally. people's ideas absolutely enough yeah. enough about joe rogan yeah, yeah. enough about joe rogan <laughs> <laughs> oh man that's great it's a good show yeah absolutely love joe he's my he's my podcast idol no doubt about it all right uh a couple so we're in the right place then a <laughs> <laughs> uh, couple generic questions here what was the first concert you went to it was that one I mentioned, Palladium. I mean, there oh, were probably some concert. earlier ones, but the one I re- went to alone, no parents, nothing. Yeah. yeah, I think it was my 13th birthday, Palladium, punk rock awesome. show, Rancid L7. Love yeah. it. Awesome. I'm going to Palladium this weekend. What? Yeah, hopefully I have the same kind of experience Are you really? You nice. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? This guy has called John Summit. It's like an electro dance house music guy. Oh, oh cool. Yeah. Well, we're going we're gonna to talk um, about the current state of music here in just a minute. All right. <laughs> before we get to that, if you could play in any other band, who would it be? I saw that question and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, to be honest, this next phase, I want to collaborate with all my friends and favorite musicians that are kind of a lot of them are. Some of them are a little bit known, but a lot of them are underground. And I think about my friend Max, who who created this project, Black Hole Oscillators. And this year we're going to do a song together. And he's not very well known, um, but he just makes the coolest, most interesting music. It's this fusion of like kind of 
R&B soul with like he likes a lot of 80s new wave and and kind of new romantic yeah. stuff and folk and so psychedelia so he's blended it all together in this cool sound so black hole oscillators there's a little shout out to my friend max all right we'll check out that there. out let's yeah give, let's give very a cool band let's give a shout out to um uh what, what, what was the other band you mentioned the hallelujah chicken run band Oh, what is uh, that? oh yeah. yeah what is I that? mean, I'd Hold love on. to jam with them. Oh, I don't think God. I don't know who's alive in that band, but <laughs> 70s, like West African. Yeah. I think actually they might be from um I don't they might be from Tanzania or, or Zimbabwe, but but out African kind of like that 70s African rock dance music. Really cool. Um, cool sound. Yeah. Awesome. I had so. never heard of them until you sent that in your email. So I had to check them out. Like, this is crazy. I like it. It's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> what, what's your, yeah. what's your favorite David Bowie song? I, I was going to ask you that. Cause that is uh, one of my favorite artists. Oh yeah. I'm a huge, huge Bowie fan. Um, we did, and he's my brother. She's my sister. We would cover moon age daydream. So yeah. I have a real fondness for that one, but, um, so many songs. I love uh, velvet gold mine changes as a classic, but, um, what else? Oh, you pretty things. So many great Bowie songs. How about you, man? Uh, Life on Mars. Life on Mars. Oh, uh, that's my a favorite one. I mean, it's yeah, a that whole album a, yeah, is amazing, but that song's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Another great segue there, Connor. This is fantastic. What do you think about the current state of uh, today's music, Rob? I want to hear what you guys say first, actually. <laughs> I think well, you guys should answer that one. Because I'm always interested in like what list. I mean, not that I'm not a music listener, but yeah. what do other audience, what do audiences, what do you guys think? I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking here too, so, but I'll jump in at the end, but okay. I want to hear what you guys think. Fair enough. I will go first. Um, I feel like somebody from my age, like I am completely in touch for such with such a wide array of music. I've always loved music ever since I was, uh, God, I don't know grade school, what have you, you know, have gone to a shit ton of concerts and stuff like that. And always looking for the, not the next big thing per se, but the next big underground thing. You know, that's kind of how I kind of approach it. I love to support local music. Um, still, you know, a huge classic rock fan, huge, you know, classic alternative fan, I guess. But current, let's talk about current music. Um, who do I listen to current besides Cole Lars? Hmm. Um, Mother Mother. You don't need to listen to anyone. <laughs> have you heard of Mother? Have you heard of the band Mother Mother? I have heard of them actually. They've they've been talked about a bit. Yeah. I don't know. I'm offhand. I can't kind of think of what they sound like, but I do. Uh, I am familiar with them check them out as a, as a band. I like those guys. Well, and girl, I suppose. I like uh, Air Traffic Controller. Have you heard of them? I like Airborne Toxic Event. Still like those guys. They haven't put anything new in a while. Um, we we opened my band Lemon Sun opened for them in really? one of their residencies early oh when God. they first started. Yeah, we were like the opener band. They yeah, were great. Um, I remember those guys. They they came out of the LA scene, like yep. from this whole neighborhood where I'm at. Yeah, yep, yep. They're awesome. Uh, Rainbow Kitten Surprise. You heard of them? Heard the name. Don't know the music. Good fun. Like colorful name. Colorful band. Paints a picture. Colorful band. <laughs> Check them out for sure. All right. That's some of my, uh, I guess, current music preferences. How about you, Jake? Besides uh, your your DJing stuff. What yeah, is I think it's like the like electronic, like disco house, like dance stuff is like big now. It's getting like bigger and bigger. I think that like, especially like from like our local scene, like what we have here, like 
we see that a lot. I mean, obviously rap is always there too. It's, I think that's probably what I listened to more when I was younger, but more now it's, I like kind of what you were saying about that, that new age disco. Um, I mean, Daft Punk was like the biggest oh, yeah. ever. That's like what I've grown up on. So I listened to mm. a lot of like, just kind of that. Um, I mean, Discovery was huge. I grew up on Discovery and, and Random Access Memory. And, and that was like huh. kind of my, my, my disco growing up or Depeche sure. Mode or Yaz, things like that. Yes. So I'm big synth and just piano and kind of like that kind of electronic stuff. Upstairs and Eric's. One of the greatest. Cool. One of the greatest, uh, yeah, records everywhere for sure. Connor. Talk, tell us about you. Well, it's a, it's a little different for me. I'm a, a lot of people say they listen to a lot of things and I'm one of those individuals. So growing up, I, you know, my dad has a master's in music. And so oh. I had, I had to sing in the choir nice. all the way through when I graduated high school, not good at it, but I uh, <laughs> still had to sing in the choir. Um, but like, I, you know, I, I listened to punk rock, uh, like alternative rock. I'm a big 21 pilots fan, Love but I, I, I'd like you know, I, Frank Ocean's a, a good artist that I listen to, which is definitely not uh, alternative rock at all. Yeah. Um, I used to listen to a lot of rap, but when they got into the mumble phase of that yeah. all, it just, it, I can't understand them is the issue. <laughs> uh, I'll listen to piano throughout the day. Um, acoustic. So like Teddy Schwims, if you guys have heard mm. of that artist, he's a new acoustic uh, uh, artist. He's really good. Um, and then from an EDM perspective, I, you know, I think that Jake talked about and Rob, Rob was the one that first mentioned it on like the disco track. Mm. Um, I think a lot of music's going towards that way. Mm -hmm. And so my, my favorite artist in that realm of EDM house music is uh, two friends right now. So they're oh, yeah. like big booty the mixes. Big booty mix. Big booty Volume mix. 20 just came out. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, so I listen to a lot of that or like RL Grimes. So sure. uh, when I was in college, I'd go up to uh, Vegas often and, and go to like RL Grime concerts uh, or DJ sets, I should say. But yeah. uh, no, it's interesting. And I think festivals are taking off. I saw that Rob is uh, yeah. performed at ACL, which is a big festival. So yeah, that's my music taste. I'm, yeah. I'm all across the board. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, li I like it. It's a nice diversity with you guys. Like everyone kind of comes from a slightly different angle. And I feel like I'm somewhere in the middle of all of that. Yeah. I mean, I love from alternative. I've been delving back into like a lot of African kind of like hallelujah chicken runs. So how can I incorporate very percussive elements? So you have like this EDM sound. So I, what I love is like part of the scene I've been in is 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 like kind of this alternative and at times you could call it new age or slightly burner scene of like the modern hippie. Right. And a lot of the music in that culture is, is dance and EDM. But my feeling was always like, man, it would be great to, to create something that was a little bit more organic or like less, less about like, like when you hear the drums on a lot of those, it's all very kind of computerized and, and um, samples. And so it's like, what if, what if you took that approach, but brought in all of this live percussion elements and use more, more organic sounds, but gave it that same impulse and rhythm and same kind of momentum. So delving into the African and, and also old soul music, you know, from Otis Redding mm. and, and, and all the Motown and 70s stuff and Al Green and all that. How can you take some of those sounds and compare it or, or sort of fuse it with um, with disco and EDM and, and create this kind of like modern dance sound? So it's it's all an exploration, but I've been kind of feeling feeling that run of things. When I hear EDM, I think uh, Eagles of Death Metal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I love that's a band I've all I've loved for a long time. Great They're band, awesome. great production, tight, like distorted drums. Yep. Really cool. Yeah, I, I actually hung out with Jesse one night. We got wow. wasted and danced in his mm-hmm. living room. Jesse's oh, the man. singer of, of Eagles of Death Metal. So Hilarious awesome. dude. So so warm. Like, you know, they, it was when we hung out, they had it was before they kind of took off as a band, but they were starting to get known. And he had like no you love when you hang out with musicians with it's like no pretentiousness. It was just like we're getting wasted, we're dancing in my living room. There's like, like five of us, and we're all just like grabbing each other's arms, swinging around, jumping off couches. And it was like, no weirdness, no pretension. Like he's, he's just a fun guy. He's, he's a real deal. He's just like a real rock and roll spirit. So yeah, to Jesse, love, love that guy. Awesome. So I, so I asked this question around the office recently about with some of the guys and uh, it's a, it's a go-to question for me now. What's, what's your guilty pleasure, like artist, you know, like that you might not want to talk about, but you know, you listen to them. I'm kind of curious, Kent. Oh, me? No, all, all yeah. everybody, everybody. I'm curious about everybody. Go around. Wow. What you got? Oh, my gosh. Um, guilty pleasure. I can go first. Go ahead. It popped right <laughs> in my head. This, I mean, I think it's more acceptable now, but when we were little, everyone used to clown on him a lot, but I like the stuff that he's done recently and like kind of like who he's like grown up into is just Justin Bieber. Dude, that's my guy. That's really? literally my yeah, guilty yeah. pleasure. Like, I mean, I, everyone used to, you would get real, you get teased for, for liking him back in the day, but like, I feel like nowadays, well, obviously we're older, so like that doesn't happen, but um, I really like his stuff, like his more, more recent stuff as he's gotten older. I can't huh. believe I didn't talk about it at first. Like that is the person that I probably listen to the most. Like, really? That is oh just Jay Beebs oh hell yeah 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 if I if I if I had a fanboy it'd be Jay Beebs yeah like like and his song like Monster you know it's just it's incredible so, so uh, you, Peaches how about Peaches uh, well yeah yeah that's pretty mainstream so you're Jay you're, you're fanboy of a uh, who Jay Beebs Jay Beebs yeah and, um, Justin Bieber we're on first name basis you know sometimes uh, <laughs> sounds uh, like it and, and, and you, I'm, he, I'm Rob Kohler oh yeah <laughs> I knew that. Hey, what's uh? Jay, okay. Jay Biebs was hanging out. My sister lives in Ojai, California, oh, and it God, it got out very quick that Jay Biebs was like in town, and so we were like cruising around, and like my little niece and nephew, like they kind of know who he is. But the and a friend I was with, who's a girl who's a little younger, was like looking out the window, seeing if she could like <laughs> spot Jay Biebs hanging oh, out. But God, we so didn't funny. see him unfortunately. But he was there. We were in the same town. <laughs> That's awesome. I think for me, now I'm thinking about it, uh, Pink. Okay. I like Pink. Sure. Yeah. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. I dig some Pink songs. I got to say, actually. That's a that's a good one. She's yeah, good. she has yeah. some anthems, yeah. some like gnarly anthems where she, and her voices can really hit those notes and like shred some notes. Yep. Not, she's pretty attractive as well. You know, you can't go wrong there. Yeah. 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 I mean, I I'll I'll get up if if an ABBA song comes on at a a wedding or something. You know, I kind of have a soft spot for ABBA, and I do like some uh, Britney Spears songs. I have to admit. Yep, yep, yep. She's finally got her life together. Catchy, you know, Mm -hmm. but. Definitely, definitely. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because there's still a number of things I want to get to. Um, I know that you've. You know your your musical career. You're pretty much independent. You know you're not really a, a label, right? You've been self promoted. Um, yeah. How does that? I mean, I'm trying to figure out, like on Spotify with downloads and this and that. I mean, how hard is it to make money in the music industry? It's a wide scope, but it's it's a challenge. But it's 
but then again, I've been able to do it. So if, if I can say that I've done it, then it's, you know, anyone else can, but it is hard to navigate. Like I feel why I can, can, can have a career as a musician and not be sort of signed to some big deal or something like that is wearing a number of different hats. So like, Mm. I'm currently mixing someone's record so I can do that for someone else facilitate that. I scored a TV show for four years. I toured a bunch. Um, Our records get licensed for films and TV shows. Um, Some pretty prominent ones and you tend to get some back end on that, but it's like, you never know when any of these things are going to come, you know, Mm. unless you plan a tour, you can kind of schedule that. But otherwise it's this kind of, it's like a juggling act. So any month might be a slow month or a busy month, but as long as I have four or five different outlets, four or five different hats I can wear, then I can juggle those different roles and personas and then keep things stable financially. And then over the years, I've gotten more into crypto. And so it's been using that to kind of stabilize my career as a musician because I don't believe in the fiat central bank system so it's like you know you find different ways of um yeah it's it's balancing juggling walking the tightrope of a number of different careers within one multiple sources of income who who do you multi-stream yes diversification is what that is well, that too. don't keep yeah. all your eggs in one basket. Ooh. All that too. All, all, you guys nailed it. You're all different versions of the same concept. I like it. You guys are a good team, a good trio over here. So I, I mean, I, I got into crypto because of rap. I'm really? not going to kid you. Yeah. Cause he posted. Oh, yeah. Because you posted something on, on Facebook about it. Well, you post a lot about on Facebook about it, but then I, I said something like, you know, how does one get started in this? And then you sent a link to Coinbase with your, you know, your reference number or whatever. So I'm like, what the hell I'm going to do this. So I went on Coinbase, opened an account, used your reference number and you know, I'm just putting like 50 bucks a week in it, whatever, you know, but Talk That's about it good, DCA baby. I know it's something that you're super passionate about and and, and really, you know, gotten interested in. I mean, let's talk about it a little bit. And you, honestly, I mean, Connor and and Jake, you guys are probably a little more smarter than than I am about this topic. So I'll be interested to hear this conversation. I think Jake is probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I stand by it. I think it's. I mean, when you compare it to what's going on, especially right now, I mean, it's been around for a few years, but now I think it's more prominent than ever. With when you look at our currency and and the Fed printing more money and inflation, and when you look at a decentralized currency, that's at, at itself right. And there's no more of it. There's no less of that. Um, I think it's something that can really take off, and people obviously are seeing value in that, and that's why we're seeing some more consumer sentiment and the value going up because really it's not backed against anything other than what the next person is willing to pay for your token. Um, so I think that's what's interesting about crypto and what's interesting about NFTs too, to where it's really, they're almost the same to where they're they're on this blockchain technology. And that's the only thing that's really proving that what you own is what you own. And people are buying into that. They see the security into it and they can trust that. And, and that's kind of where the value is stemming from. So um, it's something I subscribe to. And I think that it's something that we're going to see not only in currencies and artwork we talked about before in the po- podcast about recording property on blockchain and mm-hmm. it's really just a technology as much as in a society that we live in right now where there's a lot of fraud and a lot of things can be edited or misconstrued um having this piece of technology to where something that can be recorded on there and it's 
decentralized and no one, one person is in control of it. I think it's a really powerful thing for um, the direction of what we're headed in society. Yeah. So, so I, I agree with Jake on that. And like, you know, Rob talked about like decentralized and fiat currency and things of that nature. And so, uh, you know, a lot of we, Jake and I have a mutual friend and he's really big into uh, cryptocurrency and those type of things and NFTs. And he really taught me a lot about NFTs. But, um, you know, occasionally I was called a suit in a sense. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, Any I, sort of pushback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because cause I, I always think about it as, as like, you know, these governments are so big. And like, I, I agree with crypto. Like, I, I think that crypto can't like will be the future or can be the future of currency and, and a lot of things. But there's a lot of governments that are involved with this. And so I think when governments get involved, uh, there's going to be a huge pushback uh, from a governance standpoint. Um, so I'm curious to see how that like fluctuates with the volatility and stuff. And like, I'm more of a technical trader on uh like regular stocks and uh and those type of things and like equities but um no i'm, I'm really curious to see what rob thinks too about crypto and then i, I kind of chime in since i'm a occasional suit but also yeah. a yeah. big believer yeah. in it too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah i think i'm pretty in line with what jake described i think that that idea of of a decentralized finance because for centuries, we've been dealing with banks that are able to print money. I mean, our own Federal Reserve, it's printing money, and, and we don't really have control over that. And ultimately, we're paying debt onto that. So if you have a financial system where it's, in terms of Bitcoin, it's finite, like there's only so many Bitcoin, and then it gets halved. So it's incentivized that it's, it's a deflationary asset. So over time, it's only going to grow in value. And then people buy into that and it's also done in this decentralized way through the ledger system so it has it's backed by essentially like an equation of verification or an equation of authenticity um it it could be, it, at least it's a component right because i also love the idea of silver gold real estate as like physical assets mm. but as a digital asset that could be this and that and Bitcoin is just one component because you have Ethereum, you have Terra Luna, you have all these different other coins that are yep. attempting to do different aspects of this ecosystem of finance. Um, it could be, and it already is in some people's view, the answer, the digital answer to to finance for this globe. And and if it continues to grow in value, unlike the dollar, which just continues to depreciate and that's why we're seeing inflation all this stuff i mean it's a beautiful thing that kind of circumvents that whole central banking system of control of of like the ownership of the of the wealth in in a few hands and us having to deal with debt and 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 inf inflation and and you know depreciation of money of fiat yeah, infl inflation's huge too. I mean, I mean, to your point, Rob, it's uh, I, I can't believe that people couldn't forecast that inflation wasn't going to go up when you print out trillions of dollars and and hand them out for free, and you know we're going to be paying for it for a long time. And mm. so, um, I, I, you know, I, I see it in that sense, and uh, it's it's a true hedge. Uh, cryptocurrency is to to the dollar, uh, and and we we've seen it from a technical side too. Is you look at it and gold used to be the hedge of inflation, and now I think crypto is going to be. Mm. It's not proven yet because time hasn't you know elapsed in a in a high inflation market, but you see it climbing up still. Um, it's just I think to the suits of the world, uh, to the establishment of people, um, it's very volatile. And so they're scared, but I've had this concept for the last, you know, five years of my life and, and thinking through is like, 
you know, I look at my grandmother and I talk to her about stuff and she won't invest in anything except CDs. Okay, she's 93 years old, right. but yep. she, she'll only invest in CDs yep. because alternative investments were bonds back in the day. Yep. And then right. it turned into stocks as alternative investments and mm. REITs mm. became alternative investments. And yep. so this, this guy, uh, Hasim Tlaib writes this great book about fooled by randomness. It's a, um, alternative investment book. And so I think that the next step of alternative investments could be crypto or is crypto. Um, and I think what it's about a, a mortgage backed security. Well, those are just crap. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just CDOs and C yeah, yeah. They're, 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 I mean, we're looking at it. I mean, the, the corporate debt right now and the, yeah. and the, and the corporate, uh, mortgage backed securities on corporate offices and sure. things of that nature are going to not be well. Um, yeah, yeah. but mortgage backed securities, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. And I was, I sat on, uh, on one of the largest mortgage backed security desks, uh, for a summer internship and yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, we've all seen The Big Short. Yeah. We know what can happen. Right, right. exactly. Yeah. Great movie. History, exactly. History doesn't repeat Great itself. Great movie. Saw it again recently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and it, I mean, if you look at the macro, because Bitcoin now is, it's a, a good over 10 years. Yes, on the, oh. on the micro, you'll see a volatility of a drop of 50%, 80%, and then, of course, spikes of, of two, three, four, five X in short periods. But over the long term, I was listening to a podcast today, I believe it's about 200% on average a year growth in Bitcoin, where you look at the depreciation of fiat dollar and your buying power just decreases. I mean, it's 20, 30%, depending on inflation, sometimes even more. So if you compare like the last 10 years, if you would put the same amount of money into Bitcoin versus kept it in a bank and savings, I mean, the difference is astronomical. It's massive. It's huge. It's massive. So, I think I would say it has proven itself, but I wouldn't say that doesn't mean it's not volatile. It is, but over the long term, if you hold, then you're going to look at considerable profit. It's just about, yeah, what angle you want to take on it, what perspective and lens do you want to look at it through? Are you looking at it a five-year, 10-year kind of investment, or are you looking at a one-year where, yeah, you could buy at the top and loot like lose 50 80 percent of your money but if you sit like okay so i got in at a really stupid time <laughs> um in 2017 when bitcoin was at the top so the top was around 18 19 dollars and i was just like people were saying it's gonna go to like 50 or 100k that cycle so i bought in and i'm like super excited and then I just watched my investment go mm. down. I mean, at one point, Bitcoin was at, I bought at 19, it was at $3,000. Yeah. But I was like, at, when it was around six, I was like, look, what am I going to do now? Do I sell and just like waste my money or do I double down, buy, buy in when it's at a low and just, because yep. it's bound to at least get back to where I bought it. I was thinking like, look, if it can just break even at some point, I'll be fine and I'll actually make money because I'll buy it a low. And for, fortunately it did, but it's that, that mindset of like now that $19,000 investment, or I wasn't, I didn't buy a full Bitcoin at the yeah. time, but you know, yeah. is now like you can, you, you people would be dying to buy Bitcoin for that price. Yeah. But at the time I was kicking myself and hating myself. But if you wait just long enough, and a lot of people sold because they were afraid, but you wait long enough and all of a sudden it becomes a good investment. And that was the worst time to buy and it still became 
a good investment. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's an interesting phenomenon that we see. And I think around that time, like that was the first time that we had re- re- labeled one of these periods of time, a crypto winter. So I think it's really interesting, interesting. how, because of it's so volatile like that and people talk about so much about the panic or the hole, their FOMO, there's so many things that labels that people put on these. Um, I honestly just believe in, in, in holding it, right? Like you can day trade yeah. something like this just because there's so much volatility to it. But if you buy a little bit every month and you're just holding on to it, I do see the value in it. If you understand the blockchain technology, I think more than anything, I think it's important that when people are buying this, they're they're looking at it as an investment into the blockchain technology and and bringing the blockchain to the forefront and and as it becomes more popular, we can find out other places where we can use this in society and not just looking for a quick buck. I think a lot of people, especially that are using Coinbase and they see these in the news, and the only time it's ever in the news is when it's just on an absolute tear, is people just coming in and I'll put some money in here and try to cash it out in like a couple of weeks and make a quick buck. So I wish there was more people and I think that that's really what it started on, right? Like all the nerds that got in on this at the very beginning, this is like the dot-com all over again, right? The nerds are taking over, they're, 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 they're the rich ones now. But in those guys, if you t- talk to them, and um, I know some of them, it's like they're they're not concerned. They don't talk about this in relation to the US, like any fiat currency. Like when we talk right. about Bitcoin, we often talk about and we compare it and say in terms of US dollar, right? These people are really talking I'm to it about, about a fractions of tokens. They're, they don't look mm-hmm. at it as any conversion back to the U.S. dollar. They, they are truly investing into this network and the system of decentralized currency um, and these different networks, whether it be Ethereum or Bitcoin or some of the other ones that Rob listed. So I think there's, there's, there's two groups of people, people that really believe into it as currency and people that are kind of just in it to make a quick buck. The people that are in it to make a quick buck are just, they'll panic when things like that, they happen. They don't double down. They don't see that it has right. these long-term potentials. Um, so you just kind of have to be careful when you're looking at that and know and where you lose money is when you try to time the market and especially something this volatile and when you panic, you can't try to time it. You got to buy it, st- stay on it, buy it every month, no matter if it's $60,000 or if it's, it's $3,000. Just keep sinking money into it. it. Yeah. yeah. And, it, like uh-huh. and you guys have all mentioned the whole, you know, the volatility uh, factor of it and, and the swings are huge. Yeah. They're huge. Yeah. And I'm like, it's down yeah. 6% today. Yeah. Bitcoin is. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. So it's like you have to be able to you stomach gotta be in it for it for the long. Yeah. Long. And yeah. I think an interesting way, if you are one of those people who are looking at it as, as not a, from a, supporting the network and, and the, the technology behind it and looking at it from a dollar perspective is that this, the, as long as you're not putting, you're not over leveraging yourself, mm-hmm. the, the, the floor is relatively low. The, the ceiling from what we've seen is super, super high. I know people that were trading Bitcoin at a hundred, $150 a coin. Um, the ceiling is there. Um, so as long as you're not over leveraging yourself and only putting in what's responsible, there's a potential. You just Absolutely. have to hold. Yeah. yeah to, to both of your points too, it's like, you know, fundamentals of investing don't change because it's cryptocurrency, it's real estate, it's a CD, whatever it is. It's yeah. like time. It's not timing the market. Like you said, it's time in the market. And Rob, Rob pointed, it's like over the course of time, it's going to be great. I mean, to Rob's point, I invested in crypto in 2017 and, uh, you know, I sat there and I was like, what do I do? What do I do? Panic, panic. And I, luckily I held because, like, you know, it, to your point, I didn't put in, I didn't over leverage yeah. myself. So I said, hey, let's write it out. Let's see what happens. And, right. you know, you know, luckily it's been a benefit to me. But in a sense of uh, of timing it, it's it's tough. I mean, it's volatile. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's like buying shorts, you know, or buying puts and, and selling puts in, in the market. It's It's just... That's a timing aspect, and yep. like you either get really lucky, because and that's you, very short term. Yeah, very short term. And like I, you know, I've I've lost more money selling or buying puts than I have 
you know, buying crypto. And I, you know, I'm sure. a big, I'm a yeah, big fundamental, exactly. I'm a big technical trader in that sense. So I, I, I get it. And you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. assuming occasionally, but I understand from your guys' perspective, like why it's, it makes sense. Yeah. And just to talk about that 2017 timeframe again, I thought that was a really interesting part of Bitcoin. Cause that's like the first time those like that, uh, October, November timeframe of 2017 was mm-hmm. the first time that was really hitting the news. That's like when people like, your parents are starting to ask about it. What is this? What is this? And I feel like everyone was buying in. That's when Coinbase was really starting to take off. And then right after that is when we entered that like crypto winter zone. So yeah. it kind of shook out a lot of the people who maybe were just kind of in this because it was the hot new thing. Um, but yeah, I was working at a financial institution during that time and we were sending wires out to different exchanges and people were spending tons and tons of money. People were coming in and just saying that they've heard about this or they had a buddy tell them that really the only way people were getting into it is you were reading it in the news or someone was telling you that they made a bunch of money on it and you were kind of just following them blindly without really understanding what kind of technology was there and what, what exactly you were buying. I'm so Absolutely. glad. I'm so glad you guys are so smart. <laughs> no, I'm, no, I'm not smart at all. I, I'm an idiot. I just read about I, stupid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Jake, you're absolutely right. Online. I think the people that stayed in were the ones that in- investigated what this was actually all about and believed in the ethos. They believed like, mm. oh, this could place this broken financial system yep. and th- there was actually like a real equation and 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 basis to this creation it wasn't just the sort of like you know people think of it as a, some people still think of it as a ponzi but like when you investigate it there's like there's actually some real you know core ideals to the whole system and and i think people that believed in it just stuck around and and were like let's see where this goes i believe in the idea i believe in in what what it's aiming to do and i think that's a beautiful thing and and i think more and more people and then over time yeah. it proves itself in that and over time, I think it also the stability tends to be less extreme because more people are invested, more people are holding, less people are sort of buying and selling. You'll still always have the whales that are manipulating the market, mm. but the more people are invested and hold, the less that can shift. And we're starting to see that. I mean, we're not quite there yet, but the more mainstream adoption happens in five, 10 years, you probably won't see Bitcoin make these giant moves. It'll be 10, 20% moves, not 50, 80% moves, you know? It'll yeah. stabilize then is what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what markets do over time. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, as they do, yeah. So how does know. it, so I mean, I I've, I get to, I go down these rabbit holes on YouTube all the time, you know, whether it be on crypto or whatever. So my latest rabbit hole is this whole uh, metaverse thing. Are you guys familiar with, with this? Yeah, yep. definitely. So is this whole, is this metaverse idea tied into the blockchain and crypto and all this? I mean, I hear people like buying real estate in the metaverse. Yeah, a lot of corporations. It's fucking I mean, insane. That, that's, that's what hit the news this week, like Sony and, and all the Apple, all these different corporations buying these plots of land. Um, it's interesting for sure. I mean, it all to- turns back to, I think when people ask me about it and I just watched this movie this past weekend too, again, it's it? ready player one is like, Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Like the, really the best way to, and that was a book that was written. I don't know what, what year that was, but 30, 40 years ago. Um, it's just the VR set. And then we talk about NFTs and stuff, how people are buying these characters that are going to be their characters, their avatars, In the metaverse. their person and their metaverse. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that the craziest way to look at this is, Zuckerberg and how much money he's put into this for the past decade and how much of the Facebook like workforce has been like almost secretly working on this behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. When you think of Facebook, you think of the social media, but really behind the scenes, they've been building this universe and yep. seeing how they can 
bring it to, to reality. Um, and I just think with Zuckerberg, the name, the name change and stuff with the parent company of Facebook, it just makes me feel like something's ready almost, or he's getting close at least to, to bringing this to application. How about you, Rob? What do you know about it? Yeah, well, I, similar to what Jake said, I mean, there's a lot of theories tied to it. So it's definitely a big part of a growing side to crypto. So you have coins like Decentraland and Sandbox, where they, they're metaverse tokens. So there's an element of gaming to some of them where you're in the metaverse and it's a game. And so you can buy, it can kind of com combine several aspects of the crypto world where you could buy an NFT that is a component to the game where you can earn to play. So it's like, or play to earn, they call it. So you're playing the game and earning the crypto involved in that game within a metaverse kind of ecosystem. So it's all these different components. Now, what does that mean? Like on an existential level with like the future of humanity, right? Like, does that mean that in 10, 15 years, like kids are just going to be living in a metaverse and like not going outside and just like within this kind of like matrix world. And that's where all of their uh, sort of financial assets are, are put into. And that's where their existence is. And that's how they're communicating with other human beings. I don't know. I mean, there's theories about that. And that kind of gets into the sci-fi aspect of it. Like, what will that mean? Or is it going to be just this thing? This is how we recreationally get entertainment. Like, it's no longer movies or music or this or that. It's like the movies and the music are part of this metaverse experience. And we go into the metaverse to, to, to be entertained. Maybe it'll be a little bit of both, but we're at the precipice of something strange and futuristic and sci-fi and yeah. Uh, blockchain and, and uh, crypto is definitely a component of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting to me. It's like you become callous to feelings you know what I mean? When you start talking about this stuff and living yeah. in the metaverse and this and that, it's like the emotion goes out of it. It's just a strange freaking <laughs> well, thing. What I think is interesting is what kind of conversations were people having, like how we were having this and with speculating 10, 15 years in the future, what is normal to us nowadays where people were speculating, you know what I'm saying? Like, yep. like were there people in, you know, the late 1800s sitting around having a conversation like this about a car or like an iron pony that would like take them around. Right. right? Like, right. Or like it couldn't happen. That couldn't happen. Like, well, what about a world where, you know what I'm saying? Or like mm. even like a TV or something or a VR headset, like these conversations have definitely happened. Like, I think that like the people that say like when they, they're, they're arguing against the metaverse, like, Oh, that could never happen. It's too complex or it's, it's just happening. like imaginary. Yeah. It's, it's crazier things could happen, but we just become numb to them because mm. innovation happens. Right? Does that make sense? Like, right. It makes total no, that's sense. a great, really great point. And and when you were talking about it, it made me think of also just the internet and, the, and social media. Like 20, 30 years ago, would we expect to be connecting with people across the world and like sharing videos and yeah. photographs and all of this content and interacting and commenting on it? Like that would have been a wild concept in the 80s or 70s. Sure. You know? Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, social media itself and the, how you can interact or even playing Xbox or PlayStation with someone at its level shows signs of a basic fundamental of what the metaverse is joining getting into a chat room with someone and communicating with someone in a virtual way yep. you're leaving the communicating in the real world and communicating in the digital world it's sh the, the 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 foundation of what the metaverse is built on or try to explain to like somebody tiktok you know yeah. like like that that's a that's a very relevant thing right now in society oh yeah i mean or we, but we look at it too like kodak 
was refused to innovate. And so they thought that they were going to have disposable cameras for the rest of their life and didn't move into the digital space. And now I just saw a iPhone commercial that has like, you can shoot a film basically on it yeah. um, and do like, you know, blur a, blur a person in the background and have a focus on one character and then blur the other character, like the main character and have the focus on the secondary character. Yep. Like, I, I don't think Kodak could have ever seen that coming or like yeah, blockbuster in uh, Hollywood videos. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, like like those things were like I remember as a kid, like those were the greatest places to go, and yep. now and now they're they're not they're not existing. Actually, there's one blockbuster still in like Bend, Oregon, I think, or something. I've like been that. there. Yeah, have you? <laughs> it's on my Instagram. Fre- frequent visitor. <laughs> but, but it's yeah, like I even re- I bought a couple of movies just because you have to, and and some red vines. That's <laughs> yeah. awesome. But but you have to. But, but like companies have to innovate. Like like yep. it's, it's it's crazy. Like we talk about. You have no choice anymore. You have no choice. Yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. You either yeah. innovate or you you fall behind. But I think we're in like a technology revolution, and I don't know if that's an actual coined phrase right now in our society. But like, you know, we had the in- industrial revolution, mm-hmm. but I feel like we're just compounding growth oh, totally. every year compared to like the industrial revolution where it took no you know question. maybe 20, 30, 40, whatever, how many that's years? Brown's law. Yeah. We are compounding growth here, and so. I'm interested to see where we go. I mean, we, we talk about it every day at the, at the office, but yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's curious. Yeah, it's yeah. a great conversation. I'd be interested to, cause you guys are probably a little bit younger than I am. What do you guys feel about that future kind of coming, moving forward? Like, is it daunting? Does it feel like this sci-fi world that's kind of entering the reality or are you excited about it or a little bit of both? So I'm, I'm a different breed. I'm, I'm like an old, you know, an old You're soul. Like an old soul. I'm like soul. an old soul. I'm an old soul. Yeah. So I, I have a hard time with like the metaverse. I mean, you are in the stock market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm ancient because I'm in the stock market. Suit. You know, okay. yeah, I'm a damn suit. You know, it's God. I can never get rid of that term anymore. Um, no, no, no. I, I, you know, I, it's a little daunting to be honest with you. Like talking about the metaverse and those type of things. Uh, you know, uh, being able to adapt because I'm so focused on like my career path. Like, what, what are my steps? Like, where do I want to go in my life? Um, and then, you know, I've always thought about it though, like seeing other individuals not be able to adapt to technology. I look at it as a, um, you know, a hindrance to a lot of people. So I get on board though. So it, it is daunting, but at the same time, I'm like, I got to get on board or I'm going to get left behind. And if I don't get on board now, like I'm screwed. Uh, but I, I feel like Jake has a difference, uh, of opinions on that is I think he's excited. To no. Yeah. That. I mean, yeah. I think it's cool. I think there's definitely ramifications. Like when anyone, we, we, you tell anyone, okay, like all right, everyone's going to be living in a VR headset. And like what Rob said, like kids are going to be like coming home from school yeah. and putting on their VR headset. Like I, I think anyone can be honest about like what kind of ramifications like would come from that as like a society and being able to talk to each other. But I think that we're closer to than that than what people realize right now i mean we're talking to rob right now on zoom like how far away really is that we people talk about like getting chipped and things like that and how crazy that would be we carry our phones around with us we strap technology to our wrists that measure all of our health data that go out to these corporations i don't think we're that far like i don't think it's that big of a jump to make us say that we're going to put on a VR headset and, and act in this movie. Uh, we play people play video games all day. People put on VR headsets to watch basketball games and mm-hmm. NBA will sell you a courtside video camera. Like when you put all of these things together, we're not that f- disconnected from from what I guess Zuckerberg and, and the rest of the meta team are proposing. I think COVID has helped too. 
with that type of thing. Well, with his, the ex- wait, hold on a second. Has helped advance it. Advance it. Advance <laughs> it. Advance it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think yeah. I think COVID has helped advance like the technology side. And and the craziest thing is, I'm a big Duke fan, so maybe this is why it stuck out to me so much. But like, I watched Coach K have an interview with Grant Hill during like the COVID quarantine time. And they had a virtual like projection of coach K sitting in a, like a hologram, a, a hologram. AT&D does it now. And so I'm like sitting there going, Holy cow, this is where we're going. Like FaceTime is, is a joke right. anymore. Like, like I'm going to have a hologram of Rob sitting on the other side of the, of the table now doing a podcast instead of on zoom, you know, in a couple of years, it so feels like, yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of what you guys are saying, but how are you ever going to replace human touch? I think that's where you got to, I yeah. think that's where the success of people, that's where I'm trying to find is like you, I think our generation is going to be very successful in having the human touch and being able to yeah. communicate with other generations, but then also be able to advance in technology. Similar to you, like, like you have technology, you're able to communicate with technology and do those things. And you can talk to Jake and I and relate to us, but then you can also relate to your peers. And so I think that's where we have to sit. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Well, think generationally too. Like we know how to work technology, right? So like, and older generations, they don't have the best time understanding how to use Zoom or computer, just even things like that basic, right? That we look to as just like normal things. Like what if we're that generation and a few generations to where we don't know how to work our meta suit or we don't know how to log on or we're not in the right meta world or we're not buying the right meta world. So I I really do think that that'll be the case of where we're going to lose, like what you said, if if you don't get on board, then you get left behind. Um, Mm. And left behind in a really bad way yeah yes. i mean think yeah. about, think about mean, the seriously. grandparent the grandparent you know or the family friend that you know that doesn't know how to use a computer they're not on social media yeah. you can say that they've been left behind in, in in a big way right not being able to see other people or what their family or friends and stuff are doing is that like a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but they have been left behind in a way by not adapting and learning this new technology that has been adopted by society as a whole Rob, what are your thoughts on this? I'm kind of, I'm curious now, like hearing us talk about it. Like, I'm no, I, I'm, it's great to listen and hear the different perspectives. I mean, there's a part of me that feels like there's a little bit of this um, bifurcation where you have people who are gravitating towards, like, whether it be like plant medicines and indigenous cultures and farming and sustainability in their own kind of ecosystem of like growing their own plants and this kind of desire and almost craving to be like nature. Like I've been so removed from nature. Please like bring me back to it. I want to be outside. I want to be in the wild. I want to move out of the city and get a plot of land and like create a farm or a, or a ranch or this kind of live off the grid. So there's definitely a movement of that. It's, it may not be the majority, but there's definitely like a resurgence of that. And then you have this like technology expansion now there might be a way to to bridge those two and 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 have the like a coexistence but i see this very interesting sort of divide and you almost wonder if in 30 40 years you'll have these like people living outside of the city and their reality and existence is completely different than these people living in the city that are like within the metaverse within this ai technology and you'll almost like go out to the farm and it'll be like amish like a version of like today's New York City's types going to an Amish farmland or something like 
but it'll be the like the new generation of that. So I, I wonder what's going to happen just uh, as humanity in terms of like this division and, and how much of us are going to go one way or the other. And is there a way to like somehow be a hybrid version of this? I don't know. So I, I just think about what's going to evolve out of this, but I, you know, I, I'm here for the ride. <laughs> so it's interesting to hear what you guys say. I think that's a really interesting point because no metaverse or not, at some point you have to log off, right? So what happens? Yeah, when, what happens when you log off? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So like, who, I mean, are, who are you then? You can always just take right. it back. You could just take it back to Ready Player One, right, where they kind of bridge bridge that where he takes it off and he the world is kind of like an almost like Wally type world where everyone's just like a junk world where people are not interested in developing and and innovating in the real world. They're only interested in innovating in the meta world. Um, so it kind of loses that the real life loses all any sort of like development. Um, I could see that being the case, and I like the comparison of like the Amish to like city folks now too. I think that yeah. would be something you have the adopters and the non-adopters, and well, yeah. how that separates them in the future. Yeah, but you can also be an adopter and live off of the grid, and still be a part of it, and still be a part of it. Yeah, it's, I mean it's beautiful actually. Yeah, if you think about it. Right, I love that idea of like maybe you have a ranch and you're you're growing your own food, yes. but like you log you on still to the can meta finance for- that with Bitcoin or finance that through 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 technology or even the metaverse on some level, but yeah, how that will, you know, actually come into a reality, you know, I guess we're still navigating that. still seeing where it goes. I think that's interesting too. That kind of made me feel like, think about like, if what if you like lived out in like the country and like on like a ranch or something and uh, away from everything else, but you still have an internet connection and you work like in the, when you had talked about earlier, like this paid the earn to play type of, and the, where you're working eight hours a day, in this metaverse and then after these eight hour days you log off and you're at your ranch how much different is that than what we're doing working from home right now right where you're yeah. logging into this different area this work for metaverse yeah. working for eight hours a day and then logging off and living your normal life right you could draw those right. comparisons then, as, as it stands right now right and then i guess the difference would be that if you have this sort of sustainable place you create your own sustenance and then you're not reliant on like oh what am i gonna how am i gonna get food you're creating it you may the income may come from modern technology but you've created your own sort of reliance so like you know if if a catastrophe happens in a city and and you can't go to the grocery store this kind of thing it's like then how is one going to eat? But if you're in this situation where you're on your own plot of land, you've grown your own food, there is some kind of dependability to that, even if you might be somewhat tied to the metaverse. So there's these different variables. And I guess everyone is going to kind of decide like, what kind of an existence do I want to live within or as a part of? And how much reliance do I want to have on myself versus a system? I guess the question I have is like, how do you stay ahead of the curve? That's a great question. I, how do you stay ahead of the curve? I mean, it's so hard to keep up with technology as it is. I think I think it comes down to fun. Oh wait, Rob, go ahead. I want to hear what Rob says. Actually, well, I was just gonna say like which curve. I feel like there's so many kind of curves. Mm. There's there's like a mainstream curve, but then there are all these like it's like the music world. We can kind of compare it to. There's like mm. mainstream music, but then there's all these underground curves. Like you you were saying earlier, Kent, how you want to be on top of like what's coming up next. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different kind of curve than the top 40 curve. So I feel like which curve does one want to ride or, or explore, you know? I so, guess that's what came to mind. So interesting. When I look at like curves and when you talk about that, and I think Rob 
you know, put that question in perspective for me is like, I follow money. Like where, where's money going? So like one of the largest country artists right now is investing in, um, sustainable farming. And I, I happened to talk to the banker about it, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I know the, the investment banker on it. And so like they, you know, the, they're investing in sustainable farming outside of Nashville and, hmm. um, you know, they've got a lot of money. And so I, I follow that. Or like you look at what N- Nancy Pelosi invests in and I'm going to not get political, but like they, you can look at these political figures and see where their money is going to see where follow you know, the money. Yep. Yeah. Follow the money. And that's what I look at is like, it's like, where are they investing in? She, she bought, I think like calls of Facebook calls yeah. of Apple and all these things. So like I look at that, but I think it comes down to fundamental of mm. like how, what captivity has, has brought people and like, yep. like what is, how do you get out of captivity and it's knowledge. And education. And so like knowledge is power. And so like, I just read a lot. That's how I try to stay out of the curve. But Mm. you know, there's things where I'm not as, uh, you can't invest in everything. There's so many different ways to do it. And really quick, just a point to validate what you were just saying before, when you say follow the money and see what the, the, these big powerful uh, entities are doing, look at the institutions. Right. And just to talk about Bitcoin to bring it back is, is how is that validating Bitcoin, right? You talk about institutions, how they're buying these Bitcoins, right? These banks are looking and researching these blockchain technology now, right? If there's any, if we're talking about following what the big dogs are doing, whether it be Facebook or Nancy Pelosi or any of these investment banks, they're buying Bitcoin. Institution, institutions have a footprint within within these decentralized currencies now. So if that doesn't validate that they, th- these, these, these companies are, are smart, they're powerful. They understand what's going on and what where, where everything is headed, right? So if they're doing that, then right? There's something there. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. And for a long time, a lot of those institutions were trying to almost suppress or put Bitcoin down. Exactly. So if anything, the fact that they're now that, getting in is, is, yep. is proof that they see it's inevitable. Mm. Yes. So there's this and inevitable growth to- and they're like, well, if we're not going to be, a, we have to be a part of it because if we're not, we're going to miss out. And then whoever is a part of it is going to have control or have the sustainability or have the wealth or have, and they want that, you know what I mean? And to bring back, it's driven by greed, but it's also driven by opportunity. And to bring back Connor's moment right now for these banks, when you talk about decentralized currency, this is their Kodak moment, right? Are they going to adapt and and ditch film and go digital? Or are they going to stay with the film and fizzle out and let these, the the players who do switch to digital take over? Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and they, and they sure. invest a lot of time and a lot of energy. I sat on one of the uh, largest money managers in the world, like uh, fund to fund desk, and like they spent a lot of time trying to find like innovative hedge funds mm. and and how like what is the next best investment vehicle. Um, and so like we were talking about cryptocurrency in 2017, 2018 kind of thing. And so like those are things that like they're very aware of. And so like they've got a lot of money moving towards that direction. And so like I want to put my money towards what they're putting their money towards. Cause they, they, as much as we want to knock on suits, like they have a lot of influence in our society and like, yeah. And uh, they have insight and they know where the ball is going. Yes. Sure. And, and, and to Rob's point, it's like, they were trying to play it down. Like, like different types of institutions were trying to play it down. Cause it's going to hurt their bottom line. Probably it's going to hurt their bottom line. But at the same time they go, well, you know, if it hurts our bottom line a little bit, it's better than hurting our bottom line completely. Like, like I would rather, right. to your point, like I would rather not have that Kodak moment. I'd yeah. rather get on board. You know, society's a exactly. moment. <laughs> and they're smart enough to have the analysis where they can see into the future and they're going, we better get on this train before the, it runs us over in, in some capacity, you know, I, like you said. Yeah. By yeah. the way, Kodak, Kodak better sponsor this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, they're obviously New York. Uh, shameless plug. <laughs> 
I mean, I mean, my whole family, the no. O'Gorman side of the family, is going to love it because they all have pensions from Rochester at Kodak. Because that was a yeah, Kodak's going to Kodak's going to open up ten points tomorrow. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> hey, you know what? That was a great conversation. I love it. Can we move on? Yes. I, I got uh, something else I've got to talk to Rob about oh. that I am so interested in. It's driving me insane. So, Rob, you have experienced ayahuasca, right? Yes. Uh, in the Yahe form, which is apparently is a, a stronger form, but it's a form of ayahuasca. Yeah. Okay. I am so curious about this. Tell, I mean, I don't, you can talk all you want about it, but... I, Tell me how this came about and what the experience was like. So through COVID, you know, as we all experienced some pretty wild existential experiences and my partner in the band and wife and I split and had this kind of wild clashing of ideologies and all of this kind of stuff. And, and the idea was to, 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 you know, maintain a sense of love and 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 care and and desire for her to kind of move on in a loving way but it was a real struggle it was a real challenge i mean this is someone i spent so many years with and had such intimacy with and all of it so that was an existential crisis on top of one and my friend Pilar, who lives in Ojai on the property with my mom, was talking about going to Colombia to this place called Finca Ambawasi, which is like a farm in the mountains outside of Colombia. And it's run by this guy or the kind of the focal uh, Taita is Taita Juanito. And there's a there's a great documentary that features him called The Medicine. And they call it The Medicine, Ayahuasca. Um, they, they think of it as, as a healing practice not like an ex it can be explorative but it's the the core of it is is a medicine it's a healing so she was talking about going on this trip and i thought this and i years i'd been wanting to do this i read this book by graham hancock called supernatural yep. where he went into these explorations down in south america as well i think he went to peru but he explored ayahuasca and it it changed his whole perspective on life existence the whole you know, ran the gamut of, of kind of human consciousness and what, what he was exploring, wrote a whole book about it, influenced me. This felt like this is the opportunity. You know, it had been a decade of like, should I try and seek this out? And then it almost comes to you at a time and it presented itself. So we went down there, traveled to Colombia, which was a wild time when I arrived. There were like riots going on, helicopters happening, all part of sort of the you know, uh, response partly to COVID, but what was happening with the government in Colombia. And then we get trekked up into these mountains and spend 10 days, basically most of the time on these, uh, you know, traditional natural medicines to heal and explore and yeah, go on these, uh, these journeys. So that's kind of, that paints the picture of how it happened and why it happened. Um, in terms of the actual experience, I mean, it can run. So I, I, I mean, I had heavy internal experiences to do with kind of myself. Like you're looking into a mirror and it's like, these are the things that you should be recognizing about yourself to overcome things where I was in like a psychedelic Satan circus of, of, of Las Vegas, like slot machines, like, Oh, this dancing, like 
horror. It was almost like the worst of modern technology embodied in this dancing circus that was just like penetrating my mind, almost like electricity, just like like shocking your core and existence. And then beautiful things like from like very kind of sensual, sexual things. My father, who had died three years ago, I had a moment like connecting with him, embracing him and like overcoming, you know, the, the kind of clashes and conflicts between us and like embraced him. I mean, to things that were like off planet, like genetic DNA that where humanity has like uh, heritage that that comes from the stars there was like elements of that so i mean <laughs> it was a massive journey of six days of basically being in another realm and another state just wild and that's just like the tip of the iceberg i mean there's so much more i could go into but that gives you kind of like the cliff notes version <laughs> of uh of this psychonaut journey into ayahuasca but it's all ultimately it's healing and it's about also purging. So there's a lot of like shitting your brains out, barfing your brains out with other people. So you're like next to people just like hurling into buckets. Yeah. The first night, it's pretty funny. Um, so we take the medicine and I'm like waiting there sitting. Like, of course, people next to me just so, so like, like within 30, 45 minutes, just wow. barfing their brains out. You just see these like buckets full of like, like sludgy liquid and the whole room there's like 60 70 of us so it's just like a symphony of barfing <laughs> and then people are like calling for help so it became this kind of like and i'm watching this going like why am i not experiencing this like what's going on like what and but then the ego sets in right and you're like oh like I'm I'm good. I'm like above, you know, I'm above yeah. it. I'm I'm like I'm good with the medicine. The medicine <laughs> likes me, blah blah blah. <laughs> So like it kind of quiets down after like three hours of just like mania, barfing, screaming mania, like just like a, a like a, an insane an, an insane asylum. And I lay down, like close my eyes. I'm like drifting off to sleep. I'm like, I got this. I'm good. B brilliant. Lay back on my little like mat. The moment I close my eyes, fall asleep my mouth opens and out shoots a fountain of vomit <laughs> spraying like both the guys next to me, like shooting three, four feet in the air. I look up and it's just like projectile. I've never like squirted vomit like this in my life. And it like shoots over onto my chest. I basically leap like in the arc of the vomit into the bucket. And then I'm just like, now I'm the one barfing my brains out and everyone else is quiet. So it's like spotlight on this guy who like thought he could <laughs> circumvent the bomb, the vomit episode. Um, so, yeah. And then it was just like, Oh, now everyone in the whole room gets to hear me like wretch and just like, let it all out. But in the end, it's good. You know, you, you release your high school high. It was right a little, there. a little embarrassing. <laughs> so this is a six day ordeal, right? Sorry. You said this was like a six day ordeal. Yeah. Four nights of the medicine, but even the days in between you yeah. still, it's not like you're like, Oh, I'm back to normal because it's, you, you're not really sleeping through the night too. So you have, 
um, you're on it for essentially like six, eight, 10 hours. And then there's dancing and all this, these elements to it and, and healing. They like hit you with these nettle brushes. So you're like bodies stinging. Oh I mean, it's God. a wild experience. Like you get these like healings from the shaman, from the, from the Titus, um, which is a beautiful experience, but it's, it's a, I mean, it's a whole episode. It's a whole. So how does something like this even wild. get orchestrated? Like, Sorry. How did something like this like get orchestrated? Like, how do like is there like a website or like how? Yeah. How did how did you get to go on this journey? How can we join this? Good. <laughs> good. All right. <laughs> Bringing more people on. And, and Rob. Uh, and Rob, will you come? Is, with, will you come so with us? For this Send Kate your place, referral there code. There is a website <laughs> called Finca Ambawasi. I think it's FincaAmbawasi.com, or if you just F I N C A A M B I W A S A, and the the kind of the head. Taita is Taita Juanito, who's actually one of the youngest Taitas. He's like a very, he's, I, I call him like the rock star of the, so he, he's of legit. The, he's uh, legit. the ayahuasca world. He's just like got this wonderful presence. He's got a great sense of humor and he's just, he exudes like kind of cool and, and also spirituality. He's found a good balance of like humor, coolness, spirituality, and just like he's just a wonderful, warm soul. He just, yeah, he just embodies that. Um, but yeah, you they have, I think it's four sessions a year, four or five, and you go for the 10 days. It's um, it's not that expensive and they feed you. It includes the ceremonies, includes the whole experience. You just pay for your flight down there, pay the fee. Um, there are other ones too. There's other ones in Peru, that kind of thing. But yeah, you would sign up through the website. A lot of these have websites and they've kind of integrated. It's the same kind of goes with the theme we've been talking about. It's, I mean, you couldn't have more of a traditional form of kind of medicine, but they're using modern technology. They even have like an Instagram. They're using social media to bridge that gap because especially Taito Juanito is very aware of how important this medicine is. And if he can find a way to, to infuse it into the modern world and into this technological world, maybe the soul and spirit of that can find its way in to the metaverse or into the, you know, this, this AI technological world where uh, we're, we're, we're stepping into. So uh, it, it all comes back around to the theme of this whole conversation, but um, yeah, there, there's ways to, to just, you kind of book it through the website. My mind is so fucked up right now after hearing <laughs> this. So like, do you, do you get like referral credits, Rob, or something? If we like use your, your code or something. <laughs> you definitely have to pay for this in Bitcoin. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, um, I want to do it. I'm swear to God, I want to do this. I've, I've been doing some research over, over the last year or so, and I want to fucking have, do have it. Have you heard of Paul Stamets at all? No. Oh, have you heard of Paul Stamets at all, Rob? No, it's, no, oh, oh, I'm not familiar. All right, so I got a buddy that came into town, and uh, <laughs> his name is Paul Stamets. No, 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 no. Paul Stamets was on <laughs> Joe Rogan's podcast. So if you have a buddy was that he goes, really? oh yeah, yeah, four years ago or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll look him this, up. I'll look I, him I don't up. even know how to pronounce this word. Uh, Ken said it at the beginning. Like I, I, I can't, I can't read at all. Uh, but it's like. Uh, something mushroom of the world. Paul Stamets is all about the psychedelic. Like, and I know it's different, but Paul Stamets is like the guy that talks about like mushrooms and things. And so my buddy's reading off like the, uh, a paragraph or a chapter of this book about psychedelics. And before I was like, ah, what, what, 
what is psychedelics? And then now hearing Rob and him in the last week talk about this, oh, I'm like, wow. like, what the heck's going on? Is this some divine intervention that I'm having right now? <laughs> Maybe you're being called. You're being called. I mean, mushrooms is also a very, I've had some very powerful mushroom experiences yeah. and they do ceremonial, especially in Mexico. That's a big component. Yeah. yeah. Different places offer different ways and they're different. They're almost like different doors of exploration, right? Yes. Different, like it's a different cocktail, I suppose, of, of entering this world. And, and it's, and it's so much of it is if you do do it, I would say the one thing that is so key is, is, is going into it with intent. So it's like, hmm. what is my intent? It may be, you may be like taken on a, a whole other ride that you didn't expect, but if you go in with the intent, right, whether it's physical healing, whether it's, you know, something connected with your family or your, your childhood or whatever it is that you're looking to explore, even just expanding your scope on life and reality, um, going into that and preparing that intent and and really like honing in on it that is going to make the experience a really fulfilling and and beautiful thing so let me ask you this rob is it something you do just once or would you do it and would you do it again that's a great question and taita talks about this as the the integration so after at the end of that whole ceremony, we spent the 10 days there. He talked a lot about how like some people like to go right back in, right? Oh, wow. They want to almost live on the medicine. It almost becomes, I don't want to call it an addiction, but like they're not ready to almost bring it into their real life. But, but the experiences you have on the medicine, it's so key to then go back almost back home or back into your reality, however you want to describe it. And, how do you integrate that other world you were in, those experiences you had, the things you saw, the things you felt, and then bring those two worlds together, which is, again, another theme of this whole podcast today is like this sort of integration, this combination of these two different worlds or these two different versions of reality. So I would say it's up to you, but you really have to gauge it with your instinct. But it's very important to have that integration period to like to almost resolve the lessons you've learned and, and bring them into your life before the next journey. And for some people that might be years or even decades. And for some people it might be months or weeks. So, so it really varies. It's, it's a, it's a person by person type basis. So we're talking about alternative investments and I, you know, I don't want to get off track on this, but like microdosing, I've heard is like the next thing to invest in. Like, like it is, it is medical marijuana of 10 years ago or like recreational. Like, what are your thoughts then, Rob, on microdosing? Psychedelics. That's a brilliant segue. I was thinking about this earlier when we were talking about investing, because I know that the psychedelic portion was a theme. That's a brilliant thing to bring up because absolutely you have a lot of, whether it be you have the medicinal marijuana world, but you also have the psychedelic world, microdosing mushrooms you have. And now that more of it's becoming legalized mm -hmm. and they can treat depression, they can treat anxiety, anxiety can yeah. treat all of these different things with these things, especially like you said, as a microdose, because sometimes if you go full throttle for some people, that's a, a big experience. But if you can do it sometimes with, with smaller amounts, you can have these effects more gradually over time. And my sister's actually been going to school for this mm. and learning to be a practitioner and does ceremonies for, um, yes, yeah, psychedelic therapy, essentially. And so, yeah, it's, I think that is talking about like what's cutting edge and what's the next kind of staying ahead of the curve. I think 
that is a massive part of of what we're heading to into the future um in terms of that also that combination of the technology of researching these these drugs but the fact that they're plant-based they're mm. they're ancient medicines that have grown from the earth you know and and how do we integrate that into the modern world and modern day and i think as an investment as just an experience as a as a remedy as an alter, alternative to like pharmaceuticals i mean the beginning of this program what do we start with Opioids. It was Opioids. all about yep. the opioid addiction yep. and the opioid crisis. And we're coming full circle here where this is a way to resolve that, those issues and, and even an alternative to those addictions or a way to remedy those addictions or a way to overcome those addictions. So, yeah, great point. And I think that's a big part of the future as well. I, and, and I've heard it's tr or like there's there's research articles about how it's it's helped PTSD the most. Like, like people that, with yeah. PTSD, that microdosing is like the biggest thing. And like I know my brother struggled with PTSD and stuff of that nature. So I'm, I'm kind of curious on like, well, one, you talked about your sister going to school for this. Like what type of school? Like like what, what school does she go to? Or like So I, there's I'm, one called MAPS. Um, it's short for, I mean, it's a, like an acronym for other words that I don't know at the moment. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I assume the word psychedelic is in there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But maps is one school. There, there are several different types of school. It's, it's, it's still an emerging thing. And I don't think it's, it's like most colleges won't offer or, or even, um, you know, doctor degrees won't necessarily offer this kind of education so you, you have to go to specified schools but i think you'll see it becoming more and more of a kind of a mainstream form of education bit by bit as it gets more adopted i i know i know a guy that i met through curling actually of all things i just don't understand how you get involved with curling sport in arizona of curling um i'm an older gentleman he's uh, he's probably 78 years old right now um unbelievable human being and mm. he, he, he's, he goes to like these, these, I don't want to say these camps, but these camp like micro dosing experiences, I guess, you know, and it's an ongoing thing for him. And he's just like a huge believer in this. And again, this guy's like 78 years old, but he's most, oh, wow. he's like the most interesting guy I've ever met in my life. And I have a connection with him at such an intimate level. It's crazy. So I, I love hearing about this stuff and the, the ayahuasca thing. I mean, it's something that I have been looking at for over a year now. And I mean, I, I, I'm, I want to experience it. I just don't know where to start. That's where it boils down to. Yeah, I told you. I, <laughs> Use the referral code Rob. Rob Colar. <laughs> code word Colars. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say it's a, maybe the start would be even going to doing the microdosing or going into one of those areas first, unless you want to just dive into the deep end and go like full Yahe, full ayahuasca. It's really what what suits your personality and your, you know, your desire. But, but um, yeah, even just having one kind of session, I think is a good way to start or one ceremony, whether it be with mushrooms or ayahuasca or uh, some form of microdosing, it is a beautiful way to just get almost an introduction. And then you can kind of venture in depending on like what that experience was like for you. I'm like 0% an expert in this. So like no, no, I, my I, recommendation is I, I have no idea, but like to listen to my buddy talk about this over Christmas, like he, he was talking about the Paul Stamets and the psychedelics and the microdosing kind of thing. It's like, 
I've never, he started this kind of path and he's never been so motivated in his life. I mean, he started to talk about, you know, potentially doing a business and all these things. He's probably the most intelligent human being I've ever been around. And so I'm like, gosh, there's gotta be something to it. And like my cap, my capitalistic mind, of course, is always going like, there's gotta be how how can I get on in this too? But like, (laughs) it's, it's an interesting topic. I mean, I mean, but it's a society, I think it's going to shake society up kind of like the medical marijuana industry, but like, I'm I'm just curious. No question. I I totally agree. When I saw Rob, well, you saw in the sixties, how LSD and mushrooms and, and marijuana really changed culture and music and this kind of thing. And now it almost feels like there's a bit of a resurgence. It's always existed, Mm. but now it's, become something that people are really embracing and now in a way that's almost less recreational and more almost ceremonial so now we're taking it to this other level of like putting all this intent into it and like your friend having these ideas and 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 almost like divine inspiration for a business and this kind of thing i think you're seeing a lot of people be like oh discovering their path or discovering their calling or whatever you want to use for that through the medicine. It's almost like you shake off all of the grit and grime that's kind of like plastered onto you through the the, the, the shitty ends of society and you kind of scrape it off and then you get to like, oh, what's actually really making me tick? What's really like driving my inspiration or my desires or my excitement? And you've shaked off like, you know, whether it was like, oh, I wanted to be famous or I wanted to just be rich or I wanted to have all these consumer products or whatever it is that was kind of like clouding your vision. And it sometimes just sort of wipes some of that away and allows you to to just see, to to peek through into into what what really uh, drives you deep down. Well, I I think you mentioned it like in your pre-show notes, the expansion of consciousness. I love that. Like a new awareness. Yeah. That, well, that's, that, that goes so deep when you think about it. Well, to, to both of your points there too, is like, I think Rob hit it on, you know, the head, on, the nail on the head. I can't even talk right now. It's like, it's like he said, what makes you tick? Like, I think the two most interesting questions and one, my grandfather told me this one is like, where are you from? Like, I love to find out where people are from because they either hate where they're from or they love to tell you where they're from. And so you yep. can connect with them. And then my second one is like, what makes you tick? And so like, how, how do people find that out? And like, you know, it took me years of soul searching and like sure. going through this process of like laboring over like what makes me tick, what makes Conor Gorman tick. But like to Rob's point is like, you know, you can have these experiences as like, what, you know, brush the dust off real quick and find out what makes you tick. So to your point, it's like, yeah, it's, it's an interesting it's concept. Interesting, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. It's a way to kind of pull back the curtain. But again, it's an ongoing journey. So what makes you Mm. tick in one chapter of your life might take on a new form and we might have Mm. different periods of these things. Like, I I feel like when you were saying that, I was thinking like, what makes me tick? And having these kinds of conversations, we're exploring consciousness now from these four different angles. And we're doing it in this like great communal way. It's not conflict. And we're just building off of each other. And we're going to come away from this conversation with like, oh, like, yeah, that was really interesting with Jake's perspective on that. Or when Kent brought that up or when Connor said that, it just was something maybe I, I... couldn't think of thought of and vice versa. And so we're all in this kind of conversation together. And I think on this planet, we're, we're in a very powerful and interesting time 
partly because of COVID and all these drastic kind of things that have shaken up our world, that consciousness on a collective level, in a humanity collective level, is being shaken up and shifting and changing. And through these kind of dialogues where we're in all these different cities through a podcast exploring this, we're vent- we're venturing. This is a form of ayahuasca right now. The conversation, because we're exploring and pulling back things and, and and just coming at it from different angles. So there's all these different ways to do it. And essentially, we're doing it right now. I'm about to throw up. <laughs> what makes you please yeah. I'm, like, I'm, I'm like i'm like holy fuck i love rob more than i did before the podcast <laughs> i'm about to be the biggest fanboy of his music dude, let me tell you yeah i know what i'm listening to on the way home oh man uh, rob dude hey, hey listen man thank you so much i think thank you guys I, this you is got, a joy oh true, it's an absolute true. blast we've come a long way from what's your favorite grilled cheese sloppy joe or peanut butter and jelly <laughs> Dude, what a ju- we went on a journey, baby. It's been beautiful. Like, we could probably talk another three hours. Columbia Jesus. journey. So, so, Rob, I do have to ask you one question. Our, our, our a normal co-host isn't with us, but this is his favorite question of all time. We're going to be publishing a book here before too long. Do you have a mantra that oh. you live by? Um. <laughs> Can you spell that? <laughs> it says playing music up there. <laughs> a little thing came on and just said playing music. <laughs> oh, man. The AI spoke. Play music is the mantra. Play, Play music. music. I love it, man. Is there anything else that we haven't got we haven't talked about that you might want to get out there? Are you are do we do we cover everything? <laughs> I feel like we ended on a beautiful note. That oh, was beautiful, man. Beautiful, musical note. Yeah, I, I, I think we covered some beautiful ground, and just want to thank you. I think the last thing would just be thank you guys for, uh, for expanding my mind in this and being so cool and cordial and fun to talk to. It was a real pleasure. Yep. The highlight you. of my week. We love you, man. Let's do it again sometime. Yeah, love to. All right, that'll do it, boys. Cheers, guys. Yeah, cheers, man. That'll do it, boys and girls. Yet another amazing friend-making, value-adding show. Please be sure to check us out at thegeaholics.com. Follow us on all social media outlets by searching for The Geaholics. <clears throat> Believe it or not, there's a Geaholics app. Did you know that, Connor? I did not know that. You got to fucking download The Geaholics app from landsurveyorsunited.com. I'm going to do it. That's my next shameless plug. Send us an email at info at thegeaholics.com to say, hey, just let us know how we're doing. We'd love to hear from you. Last but not least, Please support our amazing friends of the program every chance you get, just like Mentoring Mondays. Be sure to mention that you're a Geohawk for uh, for the happy ending, as they say. Not really, but it sounds good. Pay it forward. Add value, make friends. Our new best friend, Rob Kolar, not alone. Available everywhere. Until next time, everyone. Conquer bad with good in 2022. And most importantly, be safe and healthy. Once again, a shout out to our friends of the program, Aerotech Mapping Inc., ATMLV.com, Advanced Geodetic Surveys Inc., AGSGPS.com, Bad Elf GPS, Bad Elf.com, Cobb Fenley, CobbFenley.com, Cyanic Automation, GetJobBook.com, Diamondback Land Surveying, DiamondbackLandSurveying.com, Get Kids Into Survey, GetKidsIntoSurvey.com, 
Land Surveyors United, LandSurveyorsUnited.com. Mentoring Mondays, MentoringMondays.xyz. Monson Engineering, MonsonEngineering.com. Nettleman Land Consulting, NLCPrep.com. Parkland Community College, Parkland.edu slash surveying. Safety Apparel, SafetyApparel.us. Tiger Supplies, TigerSupplies.com. Trimble Geospatial, geospatial.trimble.com.